This reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 22 to 40. Simeon rejoices at the arrival of God's long-promised rescuer. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will, will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Uh, well, good evening, everyone. Uh, let me add my welcome to Robbins and to say um, hello and thank you very much for coming along. We are so pleased um, that you're here with us this evening um, for these, the last of our candlelit carol services for the year. Uh, and the fact that they're the last ones means that we must be getting pretty close to Christmas now. Only six sleeps to go, as uh, my four-year-old has been reminding me uh, hourly. And um, he's eagerly awaiting Christmas. And so I thought I'd begin our time together this evening by asking you what you are waiting for this Christmas time. What are you waiting for this Christmas time? I wonder if you're waiting to see family. Some of us, I know, have gone well over a year since last seeing some members of our family for reasons which are obvious to all of us, I guess. And so maybe Christmas is something we're, we're waiting for, we're looking forward to, because, well, for the first time in a long time, we're going to see some of the people we love in glorious three dimensions rather than on a Zoom screen. 
And it is worth saying that after a couple of years of lockdowns, some of us might even be a little bit more three-dimensional than we were before. Perhaps you're looking forward instead to a holiday. The winter term is often a long one. It's often a tiring one, and I guess it's been all the more so for many of us this year. And so maybe you're just counting down the days until you can stick the out-of-office on and relax for a while. Or maybe that all sounds a bit crass to you. Perhaps because the changes of the past week or two mean that your plans and hopes for Christmas are now very uncertain. Or perhaps because Christmas is always quite a difficult time for you for any number of reasons. And so maybe what you're waiting for is for it all to be over again, at least for another year. There are lots of things we might be waiting for right now. But uh, I wonder if you were to make a list, a list of the things that you're waiting for this Christmas time, I wonder where on that list would you put consolation? Where on a list of the things you're waiting for this Christmas time is consolation? I wonder if it would make it onto your list at all. You might even think it's strange, I would suggest, uh, putting it on that kind of list. It's not something we associate with Christmas, really, is it? Being consoled. But in our main reading this evening from Luke chapter 2 that Adam just read for us a moment ago, I wonder if you noticed that that is exactly what our main character was waiting for. Just look at that if you have one of those service sheets with you, if you can see it in the candlelight. Um, have a look at that again with me on the service sheet. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. I'll read it out in case you can't read it. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. This old man, who's probably in his 80s, is waiting for the very first Christmas. He's waiting for the birth of the Christ, Luke tells us, of God's King. And he's waiting for that because that birth, says Luke, will bring consolation. Now that might be a bit confusing to some of us, might take others of us by surprise. And so for the next few minutes, we're going to consider three questions together. Firstly, why was Simeon waiting for consolation? Secondly, what did that consolation look like? And thirdly, what does it mean for us? Or in other words, the why, the what, and the so what of Simeon's consolation. Let's think firstly, why was Simeon waiting for consolation? Now, I'm not sure whether you're a big fan of Christmas movies or not. I really am. There's a list of them that I try to make my way through over the course of December each year. And yet, for all that I love them, I think it is fairly safe to say that they are all relatively similar. And by that, I mean that most of them tend to follow a similar pattern. They all tend to revolve around two problems. I wonder if you've noticed this. There's one obvious and really pressing problem. And that's the, the, the problem or the issue that tends to drive the storyline. For example, and see if you can guess the movie, shout it out if you can. It boy gets left in house on his own while family go on holiday. I've got a hand up down here, very polite, yes. Home alone, wonderful, thank you very much, great. Another example. Old man refuses to celebrate Christmas with colleagues or family. You've answered one, I'm going to throw it out to the crowd. Someone else, a hand up, or just shout it out. Anyone? 
there you go, wonderful, thank you very much. A Christmas carol, or a Muppets Christmas carol if you're uncouth like me. Okay, so there's one big and obvious problem, and then at the same time as that big and obvious problem, there's usually another one, another problem. It's usually less obvious, but it's usually more fundamental, more serious. So back to those two examples, that first movie, Home Alone, obvious problem, boy gets left at home alone, the less obvious but more serious problem, mother and son are at loggerheads all the time. Or the second example, A Christmas Carol, obvious problem, old man Scrooge refuses to celebrate Christmas, less obvious but even more serious problem, old man won't love anyone. Now, you do need to be careful not to analyze Christmas movies too closely, otherwise you start to see that they are all basically the same film, just with slightly different characters. But the reason I mention that is that that pattern of problems, one obvious and pressing problem and one slightly less obvious but even more fundamental one, that pattern is the same pattern of problems that Simeon is wrestling with in Luke chapter 2. How do I know that? Well, because he says he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that immediately tells us that he is waiting for exactly the same comfort that we read about earlier in the book of Isaiah. It was our earlier reading, the second reading for this evening um, from Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah was writing hundreds of years before Simeon, but just notice the similarities between what he says, what he's waiting for, and what Simeon says, and Simeon's waiting for. Isaiah says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Or in other words, console, console my people. He's talking about the same thing Simeon's talking about. So why does Isaiah need consolation in his day? Well, because God's people were facing two problems. One obvious and pressing problem. Isaiah's just told them, all of God's people, that their lives are about to fall apart. They're about to be invaded. Their homes will be destroyed and they're going to be carted off to live hundreds of miles away under an oppressive foreign regime. That's the obvious and the pressing problem. And yet the second less obvious but perhaps even more fundamental problem facing God's people. There's been a monumental relationship breakdown between God's people and God. They've shut him out of their lives time and time and time again. And now they're in real trouble. That's the the, the sadness. That's the mourning for which Isaiah needs consolation. And even by the time Simeon's writing, hundreds of years later, those two big problems persist. That obvious and pressing problem is still there. God's people are still living under the boots of an oppressive regime. This time, the Roman Empire... And not only that, that less obvious, but even more fundamental problem was still there. They had shut God out of their lives, and they were in real trouble with him. That's why Simeon's waiting for consolation. That's the real sadness he's wrestling with in Luke chapter 2. All of which begs the question, what is Simeon actually waiting for? What does he think that consolation will look like? Well, that's our second point this evening. What does consolation look like? 
Now, my wife, Fiona, and I have, have two little boys. We've got a four-year-old and an almost two-year-old. And when they were born and we took them to meet people for the first time, people said all sorts of different things when they were first introduced. Oh, look at the little guy. He's got his mummy's eyes. Isn't that just lovely? Or, oh, wow, he really does have his daddy's chin, doesn't he? Which is true, by the way. We'd been hoping the Gilmer chin would die with me, but alas, no. Uh, but some of the comments were a bit more far-fetched. One family friend, who will not be named, declared that at four months old, one of our boys was going to grow up to be an engineer. Really. But even though some folks made fairly outrageous predictions, I tell you what never happened. No one, not one person, when they were handed the baby, turned to us and said, Oh, I'm ready to die. That just did not happen. And to be honest, if it had happened, I think we'd probably quickly have taken the baby back <laughs> off of whoever it was. Just you're going to have a sit down for a little while in a darkened room. But notice, that's exactly what Simeon does. I wonder if you saw that. Just look at it again with me. Luke chapter 2, verse 29. Sovereign Lord, says Simeon, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Or in other words, God, I'm good to go now. I'm ready to die. It's quite a thing to say when being introduced to a baby, isn't it? So what makes him say it? Why is this little vulnerable baby such an extraordinary sight to old man Simeon? Well, we find out in the following verse. You may now dismiss your servant in peace, says Simeon, for... My eyes have seen your salvation. Old man Simeon thinks the baby he's holding in his hands is the consolation of Israel. Not just because he's going to put his arm around them and comfort them in the sadness of their situation, tell them that it's all going to be okay. No, Simeon thinks this baby is the consolation of Israel because he's going to fix their situation. He's going to bring salvation, rescue. And again, that's just the kind of comfort, the kind of rescue that Isaiah was looking forward to those hundreds of years before. He was waiting for both of Israel's big problems to be fixed, that, that obvious and pressing problem of warfare, of living as displaced refugees under an oppressive regime. Isaiah looks forward to a day when one day that will be completely dealt with. God's people will live at peace. And even that less obvious but even more fundamental problem, the problem of the fracture in their relationship with their God, would one day be completely mended. Proclaim to God's people, says Isaiah, that her sin has been paid for. Or in other words, tell Israel that she is right with God again. What Isaiah was looking forward to, what Simeon was waiting for, he now held in his hands. That's why he's euphoric when he meets them. The rescue that God had promised his people would come through this child. But it, that was all well and good for Simeon. It was all well and good for, for people in Isaiah's day. 
But those promises are thousands of years old, and they were made to a very specific group of people a long time ago. And so they might well feel quite remote from us and from our experience today. So what does it, what does it actually mean for us? In other words, so what? Well, that's our third and our final point this evening. What does it mean for us? You know, I have an older sister, and one of our Christmas traditions growing up as a family is that on Christmas Eve, I would sleep in her room on what was the world's least comfortable camping bed. And it meant that when we woke up on Christmas morning, we could open Christmas stockings together. And I remember one Christmas morning waking up, my sister had already woken, we were both very, very young, sister had already woken up, and it was still pitch black in the room. So we decided we wouldn't put the lights on eh, because that would just alert our parents to the fact that we were awake and they would tell us to go back to sleep again. And so instead, we quietly shuffled to the end of our respective beds and we picked up the stockings that were lying together on the floor at the end of our beds. We decided we wouldn't open them properly quite yet. We would wait until we could see what we were doing. So instead, we just did that thing I guess most of us have probably done at some point in our lives where you try and work out what the present is without actually opening it, just by, by sheer feeling it. So we're asking ourselves really big and important questions like, like, what kind of orange is this? Is it a boring one or is it a chocolate one? You know, the really important questions of life. And I remember my stocking feeling a bit funny. It felt like there was a lot of stationery in there, which I wasn't all that keen on, but my sister was. But I figured, out, I figured it might just be candy canes rather than pencils. And my sister started to say that hers felt a little bit funny too, not quite what she was expecting. Until after a while, time came for us to put the lights on, and we did so. And when we did, we realized why each of the stockings felt a bit funny. Because, as you might well have guessed, we'd each picked up each other's stockings. And so, to my relief, my, my great relief, still great relief, I had not been given stationery for Christmas. It was for my sister. And the reason I'm telling you that is that it's fair to say we don't find ourselves in Simeon's situation. We aren't waiting for consolation, not in quite the same way he was. And yet Simeon says that the arrival of Jesus is a bit like that light switch coming on moment on Christmas morning. It shows us that the present isn't for someone else. It's actually for us. Just look at that in Luke 2. Jesus will be, says Simeon, verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That really just means to the whole world. So in other words, this little baby will shine a light on things and show them as they really are. He'll show us if, if we needed showing that we too live in a world that is not as it should be, nor as it one day will be. Now that was obvious in Isaiah's day, it was obvious for Simeon. And can I just say, I think it is obvious for us too if we give it time to think about it. We called this series of talks this Christmas time A Weary World Rejoices because frankly, a lot of us do feel pretty weary living in a world that is so clearly broken. COVID is, is an obvious example of that, but well, it isn't the only one by a long shot. There are plenty of other obvious and pressing problems with the world we live in. Many of us will have experienced some of those even this past year. Bereavements and serious illnesses, 
and the breakdown of family relationships. Now, if human beings and the world we live on are simply the product of blind forces, if we are all biological accidents, then why is it that we expect our world to be any different than it is? And yet we do expect it to be better, don't we? And if you don't think that's the case, an illustration of that is that illness still comes as a shock to most of us. I've lost count of the number of people I've spoken to after they've received a serious diagnosis and they've said something to the effect of, I never thought it would happen to me. It still takes us by surprise when it comes. It still upsets us when it comes. And that's because we all have a sense that things shouldn't be like this, that somehow that illness is an intruder in the world. Now, the Bible puts its finger right on that problem, right on that sense, and explains it by telling us that it wasn't always like this, that the world was made good, without suffering, without sadness. And tells us too that with the arrival of Jesus comes the guarantee that one day it will be good again. The pressing and obvious problem of the brokenness of the world we live in will one day be dealt with. There will be no more crying, no more suffering, no more jabs or booster jabs or face masks. No more longing to see family we haven't seen for years. No more death. And again, if that sounds like pie in the sky when you die to you, well, the ultimate evidence of that, of that sure and certain hope that Christians hold on to, is that the baby Simeon holds in his hands, the baby who would go on to die a criminal's death 33 years later, would rise again from the dead three days after that. That's the kind of consolation that Christians celebrate at Christmas, the kind of hope that we experience, an end to the obvious problem with the world, the brokenness that we all know innately needs to be dealt with. But the Bible also tells us that that obvious problem the world not being as it should be, well, it can only be dealt with in the future if that less obvious but even more fundamental problem is dealt with now. Because again, the relationship breakdown between God and his people in Isaiah's day and in Simeon's day, well, it's just the same kind of problem we have too. There has been a fundamental fracture in our relationship to the living God. Now, that might not look or feel very obvious to all of us. It might actually shock you for me to say that, that there's a problem in the relationship between you and God. Because, frankly, for lots of people in our culture, God is just kind of like a benevolent grandparent. He's always there when we need him. But to be honest, he's just quite happy for getting on with things and not really paying him much attention, so long as we're happy. But that isn't how the Bible characterizes our relationship to God at all. The Bible tells us we are like children who have rejected a loving father. We're like a spouse who's been unfaithful. It deeply, deeply grieves God that people, people he made, 
we turn our backs on him. And the shock, and I think it may well come as a shock to some of us this evening, the shock of Christmas is that Jesus Christ came to earth to shine a light on that, to show us that that really is a problem for all of us, to show us that we really need someone to rescue us from that problem, and to show us that Jesus is that rescuer. In sum, Jesus came to fix the broken relationship between us and God here and now, and to guarantee that one day the brokenness of the world we live in will be fixed too for people who've trusted him. That's why Simeon sings and rejoices as he holds him in his arms. That's why Christians think that this is the best news in the world. And it's why my question to you this evening is whether you've known that consolation for yourself. Is this rescuer your rescuer? Because he can be if you'll trust in him. Now, I don't want you just to take my word for that. We have a book to take away with you. It looks something like this. It's one of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life written by a man, a medical doctor named Luke. Please do take that away with you. It's our gift to you this Christmas time. And, and maybe over the, the, the quieter moments, if you have any quieter moments over the next week or two, maybe you could pick that up and have a read of it for yourself and make a decision what to do with the claims of Jesus. Along with that, in the new year, we as a church family are running a course called Hope Explored. It'll be three sessions that will happen over the course of January in which we'll explore the basis of the hope of the Christian faith. We would absolutely love it if you came to that. If there have been questions rising in your mind as I've been speaking, if there have been objections rising in your mind as I've been speaking, then bring them with you. Please do. We would love to speak through those, chat through those with you during one of those sessions. The Bible makes extraordinary claims about who Jesus is and about what it was he came to do. And as Christians, we believe that it is the best news in the world now and it is a sure and a certain hope for the future. It's our hope and prayer as a church family that someone here or perhaps someone tuning in from home might for the first time experience something of that consolation, of that sure and certain hope for themselves this Christmas time. And for all of us, as I finish, let me thank you again very much for coming. And let me wish you all a very happy Christmas. Thank you.